stunning developments last weekend as Hockey East finished in a three-way tie for the regular season title, the ECAC finished in a tie of their own, and Canisius continued their amazing run by taking the regular season in the Atlantic. Now it's conference playoff time for four of the six college hockey conferences, and I'm joined this week over the phone by ASN writer Dave Dondino and by College Hockey Now's Brendan Jones. I'll also speak to Hockey East Director of Communications Brian Smith about 15 years of the Women's Hockey East Conference and the upcoming conference final this Sunday. I'm Tim Williams, and this is Puck University on Blog Talk Radio and the American Sports Network. I'm joined by a couple of college hockey analysts from College Hockey Now. Brendan Jones of ASN. How are you doing, hey, Brendan? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And joining us all the way from Honolulu, from Hawaii, is Dave Dondino, an expert on the Western Conferences and on college hockey. Dave, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Aloha. It is conference tournament week for a bunch of conferences. The Atlantic gets started with theirs. The WCHA tournament keeps going, the Hockey East tournament begins, the ECAC tournament begins, and I think the best place to start would be Hockey East, because last weekend, when that conference finished, they finished in a three-way tie with an extremely crazy weekend. UMass all swept Boston College to tie them on points, and then Notre Dame and Boston University split, giving UMass Lowell, BU, and BC a three-way tie. Now, the way that works, Boston University is the two seed, Lowell's the top seed, and BC is the three. But they all tied for the hockey's regular season title. The top four seeds having bye weeks in hockey's, that would be University of Massachusetts Lowell, Boston University, Boston College, and Notre Dame. Coming into the Hockey East playoffs, Brendan, who would you say is the favorite in Hockey East in this tournament format? Well, it's so tough in Hockey East just because of all the parity. If you want my personal personal opinion, I'm going to go uh, with Boston University. It might be the popular pick right now, but this team, as soon as they gained their confidence again, and it looked like they did towards the end of that Notre Dame game uh, last weekend, then they're going to be the Boston University that everybody expects them to be. With Clayton Keller, arguably uh, one of the best players in college hockey, starting to really figure out uh, his position in this lineup, not being um, the centerpiece in terms of scoring and, and, and just doing everything himself. He has help now with Jacob Forsbacher, Carlson, and a couple of guys like Patrick Helper, uh, Harper who are really starting uh, to really – come into their own. I mean, Patrick Harper's had a great year, but I think Boston University right now might be the consensus pick because once this team gets going and once they really start to get their legs underneath them, um, I don't think there's any stopping them, whether it be in the Hockey East tournament or the NCAA tournament. And then the close second um, is obviously UMass Lowell. UMass Lowell is the model of consistency. Um, They have one of the best lines in college hockey with Joe Gambardella, John Edwards, and um, uh, CJ Smith. Those three have unbelievable chemistry between each other. Dylan Zink is probably 
um, the best offensive defenseman in the conference as well. And as long as Tyler Wall keeps playing solid in between the pipes, he's a very poised young freshman goaltender. Um, this Lowell team will quietly go about their business, as they always do, uh, right to the end of the Hockey East tournament. Now you look at the matchups for the first weekend. Massachusetts at Providence, Maine at Vermont, New Hampshire at Merrimack, and Connecticut at Northeastern. The first question for that would be, of the four teams hosting those, that would be Providence, Vermont, Merrimack, and Northeastern, would you say any of those are on what you might call upset watch, Brendan? I would honestly, I don't know if it, if they're all considered upsets because I wouldn't be necessarily shocked if any of those teams beat the next. I mean, I if Providence lost, then I would consider that an upset. But the North, like the 8-9 series, the Northeastern UConn, I could totally see UConn. Um, if they get hot, you know, you have your Tage Thompson and your Max Tunov who could really get going. Um, I could see that UConn taking down Northeastern. I mean, I don't know if that's considered an upset, but it would be in terms of seeding. Um, Merrimack, I don't think right now would get upset. I think Merrimack's playing some really good hockey. Uh, you got Hampus Gustafson, who's honestly been one of the better players on that team. Mark Dennehy, Mark Dennehy does a great job with that group as well. Um, but the only real upset I would see is if Providence lost, and I just don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, that would be a pretty big shock to see Massachusetts beat Providence. Well, I couldn't see Providence. Uh, I can't. I, I think of Providence as probably uh, an outside favorite to win the whole conference tournament out of all of those. And, you know, Merrimack and Vermont, those are two teams that I don't think anybody wants to play in the Hockey East. One through seven out there, to me, it's a coin flip with, with uh, I think Mass Lowell has been the most consistent team out there and kind of flying under the radar. But I agree with everything Brandon has talked about with uh, BU especially, they've got so much talent that they could put it together. That would be the the best. uh, They have the best chance to make a run all the way to the Frozen Four. And Dave, you said on Twitter the other day that that Merrimack might be the best team to be ranked 31st in the pairwise rankings that you've ever seen. Merrimack, they are playing their best hockey right now. You know, they're one of those teams that comes out and they just give Boston fits. They haven't lost to a Boston team yet, like uh, yet this year. How crazy is that? Yeah, that's that's remarkable. Then you go even beyond Merrimack in that conference. When you look at the top six scorers in the nation, three of them are from Northeastern. Zach Aston Reese, an undrafted senior, is the leader in goals in the nation right now. One of the other leading scorers in the country, Tyler Kelleher, is on UNH. They finished 10th in the conference. So this is an incredibly deep conference, and I think that speaks to what Brendan was saying, where I mentioned upsets because there are teams with home ice advantage in this, but it would be really hard to call a team with one of the top scorers in the country winning a opening round playoff an upset that'd be very difficult even though again merrimack is playing at an extremely high level what's really interesting about merrimack is should they advance past new hampshire their second round matchup will be against a boston university team they swept earlier in the season but you look at some of those teams those players that you talked about like zach aston reese those guys that are undrafted that are uh, upperclassmen 
those are the type of players that lead you to championships and don't allow you to have letdowns. Um, I thought that didn't uh, Merrimack also beat BU at home one time? Yeah, they beat them four to one out of Gannis earlier in the year. I I do think that they'd be the underdog going against BU, but I also, uh, from what I heard about that game, it wasn't even close. They dominated that, and so, but you know, there's a reason why they're 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 a 500 team, and they just don't have that consistency. And if you don't have that consistency against a team with all of those first round picks uh, and Keller, that that's that's a that's going to be a problem. I I do believe that BU. I picked BU at the beginning of the year to win it all. I thought they were going to be hands hands down above everybody else with all of that talent coming in but it takes time to gel and then you look at teams like that have a zach aston or east and uh, kelleher those guys that are undrafted that just play so hard those are the type of players in those teams that you got to watch out for yeah and that's and those are teams that have succeeded in the past in a tournament format teams with seniors that are peaking at the right time so that will be very interesting and i think much the way that Merrimack could be a little bit of a problem for Boston University, whoever gets past that first round 8-9 series between Northeastern and Connecticut will be a bit of a handful for UMass Lowell. Now, of course, they'll be favored as well and favored heavily, and they should be because the program Norm Bazin's been putting out there is just incredible. But Northeastern's beaten them during the season, and they beat them last year in the Hockey's Championship, granted with a team that had Kevin Wallman. But that's going to be a difficult team for Lowell. And again, speaks to the depth of hockey East that none of the teams with a bye week right now look like a team that is guaranteed to go to the TD Bank North Garden. And, well, I'm dating myself calling it TD Bank North Garden, but the TD Garden and playing in the hockey semifinals and or final. It's It's really remarkable that any of the top seven teams look like they really could possibly get on a run and win the conference. And really any of the top 10 look like on the right day, they can give anyone fits. And I'm, I'm just baffled at the fact that Northeastern had the year that they had. I thought coming back, obviously they got so hot in the second half of last year, they returned a ton. Obviously um, you said Kevin Waugh was on the team and he moved on, but Zach Aston Reese, Dylan, uh, Secura, Adam Gaudet, I mean, Ryan Rufkin his sophomore year, Garrett Cockrell, like these are big names. I had them to be at least in a first round by situation in Hockey East. So um, I definitely think they're going to cause some havoc within the Hockey East tournament if they get past UConn. I think UConn is still um, slowly acclimating to college hockey or at least Hockey East. I know they've been in here for a little while now, but it just looks like their, their personnel, they're still a little young. The Tunov um, and Thompson are, are sophomores now. Um, I think Northeastern has the experience, and, and Madigan has done a great job with that group as well. So I'm, I'm definitely on the Northeastern bandwagon if they could get past UConn in this first series. Moving on to the ECAC, that regular season also ended in a tie. This one between Harvard and Union. Now, Harvard won the top seed in the ECAC tournament. They did split the title, but could you really call Harvard and Union co-favorites in the ECAC, Brendan, or would you say Harvard is a bit above the cut? I think uh, Harvard is definitely um, maybe a, you know even – I wouldn't even say a little better. I'd say Harvard's a lot better than Union. I think they're deeper. I think they're a more dynamic team, both offensively and defensively. 
I think Merrick Madsen has drastically improved his game in between the pipes. You look at a guy like Ryan Donato, who last year didn't burst onto the scene, but he had a good second half with the Crimson. Obviously, um, his dad doing a great thing, a great job behind the bench uh, as well. But you thought that this team, without Jimmy Vesey, was going to struggle. They are doing anything but. Like Tyler Moy, a senior, Alex Kerfoot, a senior, Sean Malone, a senior, have literally taken the reins and just steered this program in the right direction because I was, like everybody else, a little skeptical at first, but I'm so impressed with the Crimson, and they have a, an unbelievable freshman defenseman in Adam Fox as well um, that really knows how to move the puck and, and is doing wonderful things for that blue line group because I wasn't sure who was going to take the race back there, and he's doing great things. So I would have to give the Crimson a leg up over Union. Union's kind of uh, top-heavy when you look at it with that first line. Yeah, Union has, I mentioned the top six scorers in the nation earlier. Union has two of them. So they appear on those lists a lot too. They are, they're a team that can get goals, but they can get goals usually from the top of their of their lineup, guys like Mike Vecchioni. You look at the ECAC tournament. This weekend, it's Brown at Quinnipiac, Rensselaer at Clarkson, Colgate at Princeton, and Dartmouth at Yale, Quinnipiac fell one point short of a bye week, but they played a team with just seven conference points. At this time of year, when everyone's looking to improve their ranking ever so slightly, would you say it's almost better for a team like a Quinnipiac to be playing this weekend as opposed to getting the bye week? Well, I don't know. I, I, I guess Quinnipiac, they have so much um... – experience at, at this time of year, I think it's essential that they, they do bit, pad the resume with more wins because they're one of those bubble teams that we're going to talk about in a little bit. I'm sure. Um, I think they've, they've, they've found their pace a little bit more coming toward the end of the season than they had earlier in the year. It took them a while to gel after losing all of that talent from last year's team. Yeah. And I, I just like to add that obviously they lost, you know, Devontae's and their leading scorer and Sam Addison one of the best goaltenders in the country and Michael Gardig, but I've been waiting for this team to have somebody step up um, like a Sam Annis did in years past. I mean, Landon Smith has done a, a good job this year, 25 points. This Quinnipiac team is, is more of what we are used to with Quinnipiac. They're just very consistent. They play a great team, uh, team game. Their systems are always there. They're great on the forecheck. Honestly, they'll definitely um, have some teams worried come the second round if they could get the by their first round opponent but I just don't see this Quinnipiac team going as far as they have in the past if they could I mean obviously uh, they're not in pairwise position right now to make the NCAA tournament so they're going to be playing desperate hockey um, and that's always a good thing if you're if you're Rand Pecknell because this team seems at some point some points in the season they've seemed I don't want to say that they've seemed not motivated but they just haven't they just didn't seem like themselves. It didn't seem like the Bobcats of the past. So I think this desperation is going to bring out the best in Quinnipiac. It seems like there's a, this is a conference that's almost top heavy, even as close as it is, but there's Harvard, which I guess is on a separate tier. Then you got Union and Cornell, which I think you could flip a coin. Then you got St. Lawrence on that level. And then you got the rest of them, the way it looks and they can, everyone can beat everyone, but those, those three teams, those first three teams in that division, I think they're a cut above. And if I was going to pick one that might get upset, 
I think what you pointed to earlier about Union being top heavy, that's a team that down the line uh, could get could get upset in the conference tournament. And to your point about Quinnipiac seeming to play a little disinterested at times, they started the season with some very high expectations. Early in the season, they were ranked as high as two in the USCHO poll. So this is a team that at one point this season might have been thinking about the Frozen Four and is now thinking about just trying to get in the tournament any way they can. So it's been a bit of a shock. And I'm sure at times when they had that letdown after having such a high ranking, there was a bit of, it might have taken the air out of the team, but they certainly need to find their stride and they need to find it fast in a, in a very tough what's going to be second round matchup. And if they get beyond that, they're going to be facing some of the best teams in the country and they're going to be heavy underdogs in those games. So they need to get it together and they need to get it together in a hurry. If they're going to stand any chance of getting in, they need to resemble the team that got that high accolade early in the season, as opposed to the team we've seen really since December. For sure. I definitely think so. And and just, just while we're talking about the ECAC, I don't think you cannot talk about Cornell and the job uh, that they've done this season. Obviously, being an Ivy League school, um, they don't get to play as many games. They start a little bit later, but this team is so well-balanced, so yep. structured as well under Coach, uh, under Coach Schaefer. And then it, it, you have Mitch Gillum in between the pipes, who've, who's done an unbelievable job for this program. The Big Red um, look like they're uh, one of the more – deep teams in the ECAC, which bodes really well this time of the year because you need conditioning and you need four lines if you want to make it far in this conference. You're listening to Puck University on Blog Talk Radio and the American Sports Network. I'm Tim Williams, joined by Brendan Jones and Dave Dondino. Switching gears to the NCHC, which is about to enter its final weekend of the regular season, Denver is one point away from sealing the regular season title. Duluth is four points behind Minnesota Duluth. Is there any chance that the University of Nebraska at Omaha can sweep Denver this week and keep the Bulldogs' hope alive? It's a gunslinger's chance, you know. There, it's there. Uh, Denver is Denver is so consistent this year. They've got so much talent. And you know they they've got a mission after what happened to them last year in the tournament getting knocked out uh, knocked out early. But Omaha is one of those teams that can score goals in bunches. They proved that last week. Last week they were all about it was uh, they lost six four to North Dakota and then they come back and shut them out. So when they're playing uh, the way they can play, uh, you uh, Omaha is a, is a is a pretty solid team. Now they don't play that great at home. I, I got to find what their home record is. But it's really a unique team with Austin Ortega leading the way. You know, he's been sitting, he's he's tied for the, been tied for I don't know how many weeks for the game-winning goals um, for the national record. I don't know how many weeks he's had it, but that guy, uh, I, I just expect him to win maybe one of those games uh, this week. It, it could be a split. That's been the, the, for the most part, that's what's happening in the NCHC this week is split, split, split. Yeah, if we're going to talk Denver, I mean, I just I love Denver. I can't get enough watching the Pioneers. I think they're the most dynamic team offensively. I think they're actually the deepest team um, in the country. Obviously, people would argue that and say Minnesota Duluth has four strong lines. But this Denver team, I think their top six is better than any other top six in the country. I mean, Troy Terry, um, the American hero, is back since his wrist injury. He's playing 
on another level. Henrik Borstrom, in my opinion, is hands down the most talented freshman in college hockey. I don't know if you guys saw the goal that he scored over the weekend, but it was one that I probably will never be able to uh, to watch enough of. The kid is so talented. He has an incredible set of hands. His hockey IQ is through the roof. Um, but then they have, obviously, the best offensive defenseman in the country in Will Butcher. And, uh, Will Butcher does it on both ends. He's a great puck mover. He knows how to shoot the puck. Um, he's also, I think he's he's over plus 20 on the year. Um, then they have glue guys. They got like Van Boris is in the back as well. They have glue guys and like Logan O'Connor. I mean, this Denver team is complete. I am telling you, and then Tanner Gillette leads the NCHC in most goaltending categories. Jim Montgomery has these guys focused on the process, and they're all doing the little things, the details. And I, I just can't talk enough and, and tell you how much um, I love Denver this year and, and hope to see them in Chicago. I think they're uh, riding a nine-game winning streak right now, and, and I agree with you on every point about Denver, especially the coaching part. They, they That program is just so well set up uh, down the road. Omaha is a bubble team, though, and they've got to play desperate, and they can play desperate. This might be Dean Blaze's last hurrah over there. He's talked about possibly retiring at the end of the year. That's one of the greatest coaches at college. He's, he's, he's a colorful guy and a great coach. So there's a lot to, to, uh, to see with that rivalry that will come down the road. If, if I had to pick one, though, <laughs> I can't pick against Denver. I don't know if they'll really have to do much to have to win. They could, they could come with a tie and still win the league title this year because Duluth is playing at Western Michigan. And uh, those are two of the top five teams in the country. Yeah, I was about to say that, that with all the playoff matchups this week and all the postseason matchups we can look forward to coming up possibly next week or past that, I think the real headliner this week has to be Minnesota Duluth at Western Michigan. That's the only battle of two top 10 teams on the slate this week. And even if Denver doesn't get a point this weekend, it's going to be tough for Minnesota Duluth to keep their regular season title hopes alive because they would need to sweep an extremely good Western Michigan team. I was just going to say they're, they're three and they were three Oh and three in the month of December. So, uh, you know, they've come back. This, this NCHC is so tough week in and week out. Um, that's, that's one of the nice things about it uh, because of their pairwise. And that's why uh, going back to looking at uh, Omaha, if they should sweep Denver, that that would really bolster their chances. But Duluth and Western Michigan, I agree. That's that's going to be a great game. they got a great great goalie, two great goalies right there, young goalies. Uh, I'll let uh, Brandon can talk about a little bit about that. Yeah, no, you, the goaltending situation in that game is, is awesome. Two freshman goaltenders, Ben Blacker for Western Michigan, and Duluth has Hunter Miska, who um, is playing – Great uh, for the Bulldogs as well. But this Western team is another team that I'm incredibly high on. Um, Andy Murray has completely changed the culture over there. This is a team um, that is like, I don't want to say, I don't want to compare them to anyone, but they're like Cornell and such that they're very structured. They don't have anybody that is incredibly flashy on that team. I mean, Matt Iacopelli is having a great year, 30 points. Um, he jumped out of the gate this year as well. He's also awesome. On the power play, Sheldon Drys is a is a senior, um, 25 points on the year. He is another guy that you have to know um, where he is on the ice at all times. And then they have a freshman, a big kid, Wade Allison. He like plays very heavy. He's always in the dirty areas of the ice. And then you watch him play, 
you, and you really try to pick apart his game, there's really not too much wrong with it. Um, he's slowly becoming a more 200-foot player. And uh, like you mentioned, the goaltending has been there. Ben Blacker has been hot as of late, and they play well in their defensive zone. They definitely don't defend long. They just get pucks out and then go to work in the offensive zone. So definitely high on Western. I also think um, Western Michigan, and it looks like they're going to get an auto bid to the NCAA tournament, will make some noise um, in the NCAA tournament because of their depth, because of their attitude, um, because they really want to prove to people that, hey, we weren't that team from a year ago. I mean, would they finish in the bottom two in the NCHC last year, I believe it was. So they've completely revamped things up in Kalamazoo. Lawson, by the way, is one of the coolest um, college hockey rinks to go watch a game. Could you imagine that after this after this weekend that Western Michigan, if they swept Duluth, uh, they could possibly move into a uh, the talk of being one of the top four seeds in the in the tournament? Uh, yeah, that would be crazy. It's all come through. You're right. They were bottom two last year. You know, they were always known as a real tough team. But when you talk to uh, Sheldon Dreis and some of these other guys, you ask them what happened, and they said that this year uh, Andy Murray, he's done such a great job coaching these guys, but they implemented a skills, uh, some skills exercises that they do before practice, after practice, that they never had really before this. So they've added on a few more, a few more um, offensive categories i guess more offensive skills competitions for these guys to work on and that the players love it they, they stay after practice to do it a little bit more um that, that is that loss and rink is going to be tough uh but duluth is one of those teams with scott sandlin a very gritty coach uh ryan tufty comes in all those guys that's a that's a deep team and i think that they're due for uh i think they, this will be a team that should get up for sure I, duluth you, you can't ever count duluth out i think they're um, the second deepest team in the country, and, and they need to start playing their best hockey come the end of the year if they want to make some noise um, in this conference tournament and the NCAA tournament. I don't think that they're playing, I guess, their best hockey right now because, you know, they tied Colorado College, they beat them 2-1, and they tied Miami, and those are teams you'd like to see the number two team in the country handle a little bit easier. Yeah, that whole conference is so tough. Uh, you know, you look at North Dakota, the last year's champion, and they have to sweep at Miami and Miami is a, a, a young team. That's a got tons of talent and that's not going to be an easy task either. And if they, if either of those teams don't, don't sweep this weekend, it's going to be awful tough for them to be considered out uh, even a bubble team. Yeah. We'll bring the bubble teams in just a moment, but before we get there, we should really touch on there are two weeks left in the big 10 regular season. Wisconsin will be taking on Penn state in, they call it hockey Valley during the, during the winter sports season. Wisconsin's in second place in the Big Ten, and Penn State is, well, they've had a blessed year. They've been really exceeding everyone's expectations. How big is this weekend for Wisconsin especially? Wisconsin, to me, is one of my favorite teams in the Big Ten to watch. Uh, I think Ganado has those guys playing so well. They they they've only won I think one of the last eleven or twelve games against Penn State, but this is a a team filled with filled with talent. You know this whole this whole game. You know on Penn State they've got Smirnoff. Um, they've uh, and then you uh, Wisconsin counters with Frederick, uh, Luke Coonan, uh, David Goodwin, a senior forward. He's also pretty strong. I just think this is going to be just a fun game. And these teams, um, like I said, I've said all, all year long, these guys, this, this is a conference that the top four teams just beat each other up. But 
there's something about Wisconsin that I really liked uh, this year. There's just a grit to them that says, watch out for those guys. Cause I think they're going to, um, they should make the the playoffs. I, 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 I think good things for those guys this week. <laughs> I, I think Wisconsin is one of the most fun teams to watch in the entire country, let alone uh, the big 10 conference. This is a team that you've literally seen progress week by week. Tony Granato obviously didn't know these players coming into the season and now he says, you know, you listen to him, he's like, I have 30 plus games um, to really get to know my team, to know my team, to know my players. And, and we're really starting to make those adjustments, whether it be in the lines or whether it be in the system. Um, you mentioned Trent Frederick, who's been just having an incredible freshman year and he got hurt a little bit and it was cool. I read a, a nice piece on on trend and after he got hurt he really started to watch the game obviously he was in the stands he learned a lot he progressed uh, more just through being being hurt and that's something you always like to see if somebody's hurt they kind of just you know they don't um take, take those few weeks off he wanted to get better and you see the evolution uh, of his game and, and then you have luke cunning who's one of the best goal scorers in the country this wisconsin team also has been getting some good goaltending as well from jack berry and, and matt jerusic so um, I definitely foresee a split, um, but this series definitely is bigger for the Badgers just because of pairwise position. I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but they're they're a bubble team in Penn State. Um, if they get swept, I think it's a huge drop for them, but I don't think they fall out of automatic bid um, uh, contention. So I also like Wisconsin in the Big Ten tournament. I think if they're playing, they're desperate and they're playing that desperate brand of hockey that they um, will need to play in the Big Ten tournament if they don't have the auto bit. I think by the time they get to the Big Ten tournament, they're going to be just a completely different team and, and, you know, look out for the Badgers because, like you said, um, they'll be playing with house money, as they like to call it. No, no, uh, No worries for them. The Badgers are one of those programs that hockey, college hockey is better off when they're doing great. You know, Granado, you talk about how what an impact this new coaching staff has made. Uh, the two years previous, they won 12 of 70 games, and now they've won 18 games this year. So that's that's says a lot about that team. Um, I'm curious about Penn State and how they can keep putting so many shots on net. Uh, it's It's like a shooting gallery out there for those guys. They remind me of someone who plays video game hockey and what they tell their teams to do. They where just shoot, just keep shooting, just keep going. And it's really it's entertaining to watch. It's nothing you're used to seeing. Um Brendan, you were a goalie. I was. Is it as entertaining on the other end? <laughs> when your team just keeps shooting or when you're getting shot at? You know, when, when you're just when the other team is just shooting almost without thinking about shooting. They're just letting it go when they get it. It's great when you're a goalie, to be honest. When you're getting pounded with shots, it really keeps you into the game. It keeps you focused. Um, the hardest part about goaltending is when, when you're not getting shots and staying focused and staying in the zone. Um, so it's funny because if I was, if I was playing um, against Penn State, I would say, well, this is going to be a game that I'm going to be into. Um, I'm going to see 40, 50 shots, and as long as I don't let in uh, four or five goals, like I'm going to have great numbers by the end of the game regardless. But uh, you won't hear any goalies be talking talking about their numbers um, just because whenever you interview a player, they're always, you know, we just want to win. We just want to win. But, no, it is it is entertaining, and it's, it's definitely 
it's definitely better as a goaltender um, to get pounded with shots rather than sit back there for a little while. Just ask Cam Johnson. Uh, you know, when I, I talked to Cam even before the season of North Dakota, hey, Cam, you know, you see 10 shots on average sometimes, you know, in a weekend. And he's, uh, and he's like, yeah, it's definitely not the easiest thing in the world. He says he writes on his glove. Um, just like focus on what's next or what's important now. And uh, it's definitely it's definitely one of those things that not too many people realize, you know, getting pounded with shots as a goaltender is almost a good thing. Kind of reminds me of that slap shot. I could imagine uh, the movie slap shot since we just ran that big profile, that fun feature on ASN about all of the, all of the coaches quoting and everything. But when the, when the goalie sits down and after the, after getting peppered by shots and he's still in the, in the uh, locker room, trying to block shots and they have to calm them down. <laughs> I can see that happen with some of those coach, uh, goalies around here. Penn State will host Wisconsin on Saturday night on ASN at 8 o'clock. You're listening to Puck University on Blog Talk Radio and the American Sports Network. This is a good time to segue into our talk about bubble teams. I guess my first question is, because two of the teams that lead conferences right now are from outside of the top 16 so that would make the cutoff line closer to 14 are those teams outside like omaha vermont and boston college do they all have to win their conference turn to get in brandon i definitely think all all i think omaha would have to win the nchc i think vermont would have to win hockey east and i definitely think boston college would have to win hockey east um as well as you know st lawrence but it's it's that time of the year where those things could happen. And if you just get hot at the right time, um, it could all definitely work out. Look at look at a program like Northeastern last year. And I think it's totally possible for a team like Boston College to get hot and make a run to that end of Hockey East and win um, at TD Garden. I don't think anybody would say they'd be shocked if a, if a one seed was tied because uh, <laughs> that's, the, that's the, the irony of it all. If they're a one seed, and they're on the pairwise bubble, so I don't think anybody would be shocked there. They might be a little more surprised if Vermont were to make a push towards the end of the towards the end of the hockey East postseason and and take that conference tournament. But I don't think uh, UNO has the depth or has what it takes, I guess, to take down a Denver or Duluth or even a St. Cloud in uh, the NCHC tournament. The only way that Omaha, I think, could 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 possibly get in there without winning the tournament is is a sweep this weekend that would vault them because of the pairwise because of the beating uh, beating Duluth would be a, a big deal or Denver, excuse me, uh, that would be a big deal. But they they would definitely have to have a good showing at that NCHC tournament too. And just uh, Ohio State obviously is right on the bubble as well. I would love to see four teams from the Big Ten make the NCAA tournament in Minnesota, Penn State, Wisconsin, and Ohio State. But the last regular season series in the Big Ten for Ohio State and Wisconsin is actually against each other. So I don't know if that would bode well for either of those teams. I think one of them would need to sweep the other to, in fact, switch places um, for that automatic bid and the other one thus dropping uh, dropping out of the uh, pairwise situation so unless one of them is in pairwise position and the other one wins the big 10 tournament that's the only way i foresee four teams from the big 10 getting into the ncaa tournament let's be direct is penn state in it yet well i think penn state is 
probably in. It depends. I, again, I think it, it goes to this weekend and how, and how they fare the rest of the way. They It would be uh, an upset if they weren't in the tournament anymore. Now, if you're talking the top nine team, the top 10 teams in the country right now or below or 10 or below? One to 10. Would you say those teams are all safe yet? I guess Penn State in particular could, if they were to not win another game, they might be in a little bit of danger. Possibly Penn State, possibly Union. Uh, you don't you don't know about uh, what what the ACAC uh, tournament, but I would I would imagine that those are the two teams that I would look at that might uh, out of out of the top ten. Otherwise, I think they're all pretty safe. Yeah, if Penn State were to get swept by Wisconsin and then swept by Michigan, um, I could see them maybe falling to like a fourteen in the pairwise. And I know there's math that could be done to actually find out where they would fall to, but I mean, just, you know, from a bird's eye perspective, if they were to lose all four of those games, then I don't even know if they'd be uh, totally out of the question because then some other things would need to go on with other programs um, because Penn State has some big wins this year. And, and uh, I think they're safe. I think, I definitely think Penn State's safe. And, and I think Cornell is safe. I was skeptical of Cornell a little earlier in the year. Uh, towards the end, I thought maybe, you know, if they were to drop a game to Clarkson or, or RPI, that they would really take a plummet in the pairwise. But I think Cornell is, is safe, and I think that they'll make a, a good little run in the ECAC postseason tournament as well. And then, Dave, uh, North Dakota is not looking not looking too no. hot right now to make the NCAA tournament. I know you can't be happy. No, they're four and eight, I think, over the last few games. They haven't played well. I mean, every mistake that they've made this year, they've they've been shut out five times. Um, every mistake this year turn, seems to turn into a goal. And this goes back to what we talked about earlier. You know, when you have a when they had a stecker last year and some of those some of that seniors leadership, I'm not saying they don't have great leadership right now, but those guys, you couldn't come back to the bench if you made a mistake uh, with with those guys. North Dakota has to win their I think they'll probably have to win their conference tournament and they've never fared well at that conference tournament. So um, first off, they have to get there uh, this weekend. And, and uh, I'm thinking that they're on the outside looking in right now and they're going to need a lot of help to get in. The other team that I was looking at is Notre Dame, you know, finishing up their, their big East tournament this year, uh, moving, moving into the big 10 next year. And then uh, with hockey East right now this year, that's quite the story, and I, I wonder if do you think that they're they're secure in making it? I think I like Notre Dame. I, I do like uh, the leadership of Cal Peterson, actually, who's their captain, um, captain goaltender, and I love the way Anders Bjork plays. And Andrew Ogilvy had an incredible summer and is having an unbelievable sophomore campaign as well for this Notre Dame team. I love Jordan Gross on the back end. I know I'm just dropping names, but I mean these kids yep. are are proven um, college hockey players and they give teams like BU, BC, UMass Lowell, they give them fits and uh, Jeff Jackson um, has definitely implemented a good system. They play with speed, they play with pace, uh, they love to go off in transition and he's really using these skill guys. And, you know, you look at a guy like Bobby Nardella who, who is on the first power play, he's been great with the man advantage, 19 points on the season. So I, I definitely like Notre Dame and I definitely think they remain in pairwise uh, contention for that NCAA tournament. You know, I wouldn't count. I, I agree with that, but I wouldn't count out North Dakota on one re, uh, for two reasons. One, they won the title last year. Two, uh, the past few weeks, even though they have been shut out, they've been uh, uh, Brad, Coach Brad Berry, he's put together that line and he's running that line out of Shane Gersich, 
Tyson Jost and Brock Besser out. And Besser played most of the year with a very bad uh, wrist injury, so he never had his really wrist shot going. Jost was hurt, but uh, you talk about great players. End-to-end, that guy, I will take that freshman and Berkshire. I'll take him, uh, Jost, any time, and that kid can play. Uh, he's just so solid on both ends of the ring. And Gersich, uh, he's probably the most one of the most improved players in, in, in all of hockey. That said, I'm not so sure that they're, they, they, they have the defense. But when they're running those guys out, that's a different team, and they're out shooting teams right now by, uh, by quite a bit. So that's mm-hmm. a team to watch out for as a dark horse. But it, they are a dark horse right now. Another piece of hope for North Dakota is the amount of matchups between teams just ahead of them in the pairwise. Notre Dame and Providence will in all likelihood be playing next week in the Hockey's playoffs in South Bend unless Providence gets somehow upset by the University of Massachusetts and sorry to any Minuteman fans out there or if I'm overlooking that a little bit. But I think that's that could be almost effectively a play-in kind of a matchup. I think that both Notre Dame and Providence can say they've had a body of work to this point that should put them in the tournament. But with so many teams on the bubble, that might be very dangerous, especially if it's a sweep either way that could send one of those teams down the rankings. And then you mentioned Ohio State and Wisconsin play each other in the last week of the regular season. So if there are two sweeps in those two series, that could really help out North Dakota because right now they're 16th in the pairwise. If they were to leapfrog two of those teams, they'd be 14th, which if the pairwise are to be believed, the 14 seed will probably be the last team in. So if you're 14th in the pairwise, you're sitting pretty, and North Dakota's not that far off from that, but they're still on the outside looking in. I, I certainly agree with Dave on that. I, I like and, Providence too. Jake Wallman yeah. in Providence. He's so Jake to me. He's one of the most underrated guys, flying under the radar superstars in this league, uh, in all of hockey this year. And the the whole uh, Fargo regional is always up for debate, and and if they sway towards North Dakota, and obviously I, I'm not uh, saying that the committee does that, but I know that uh, it would make for some great college hockey in Fargo if if North Dakota was there. Well, I think you're spot on on that too. I mean, they say that it doesn't matter, but two years ago, I think it was in 2004, maybe it was three years ago, uh, UND needed uh, Wisconsin to sweep Ohio and Ohio State to make the playoff. And that's how they got in and they advanced to the frozen four after that, but they travel so well, it's going to be a huge blow if, uh, if they don't make it to the tournament financially for the NCAA uh, because they do travel well. Now, in that region, though, what's, what's helping out the NCAA to say we, maybe we don't need North Dakota this year is you've probably got Bemidji, which is right down the road. You've got uh, Minnesota, and you've got Duluth, and those are all easy, easy, easy road trips for any of those teams to come in. We can certainly – we'll be addressing this bubble talk again throughout the season, throughout the last couple of weeks while these playoffs are sorted out. So we'll be back on that again. The National College Hockey Player of the Month for February was announced, and that was Zach Aston Reese Northeastern. The Rookie of the Month is Wisconsin's Trent Frederick. Is it too early to start handicapping the Obie Baker field? If not, we're looking at the top six scorers right now, and there are goalies that must be considered as well. There are some fantastic goalies this year. But the top six scorers are Tyler Kelleher of UNH, New Hampshire, Zach Aston-Reese, Mike Vecchioni of Union, 
Spencer Fu, also of Union, Dylan Sakura of Northeastern, and Adam Gaudet of Northeastern. So when you look at the top of this, do you think that hurts, say, Mike Vecchioni's case that he has a teammate right there next to him, or do you think it helps him because he works so well with a linemate? I'll start us off, and I don't think um, it hurts him. I think Vecchioni is actually the one who makes Spencer Fu a little bit better. So I think if you were to just watch uh, those two play and they play with Sebastian Vidmar, both of those guys make Vidmar look a lot better. But I think Vecchioni is the straw that stirs the drink. I couldn't even think of the cliche there. Um, I think Vecchioni definitely uh, is the guy that makes them go. I think Zach Aston Reese is the favorite right now. Um, He doesn't actually play with Secura or Gaudet. I know Coach Madigan had him playing with uh, the Stevens brothers, and sometimes he was playing with Philippe as well. So uh, clearly, Zach Aston Reese uh, isn't getting the help from his, I guess you would say, star teammates, at least five on five, but I know they play special teams together. Um, the one that the one kid that I think gets hurt by the team that he's on is Tyler Kelleher, because I don't think UNH is going to advance past the first round of the Hockey East playoffs, and obviously, um, there hasn't been too many Hobie Baker award winners that get knocked out in the first round of their conference playoffs. So if he were to send UNH to squeak out a first-round win and make a little push in Hockey East, um, I'm not saying he has to win the tournament and get into the NCAA tournament to be crowned a Hobie Baker award winner. I just think the, the just having those games and the potential points that he would get um, under his belt and then that would only um, increase his his chances of, of getting at least a Hobie Hattrick look and being one of those three players on the stage. But I definitely like Aston Reese right now. And you mentioned he plays on a line with the Stevenses. It should be noted that Nolan Stevens was injured for a large portion of the season as well. So he didn't even have his full line there for, for a lot of the season. It's been remarkable the season he's had. Sorry, Dave, I didn't mean to step on your toes. Oh, no, no, I was just agreeing. Uh, I was going to say the same thing. With uh, Tyler, you know, the thing about Tyler, it's too bad he doesn't have the exposure because last year he was one of the leading scorers, and this year he's one of the leading scorers. He makes his linemates better so much. This year, maybe it's going to go to a defenseman. Uh, I don't, because I don't see any great scores that have lit it up like they were expected to do. Like as good a year as Clayton Keller has had, he's 19th and he's tied for 19th in scoring. Um, Justin Clouse is another good guy from Minnesota that could be up there. Austin Ortega has had a had a had a great career and he's been good. Andres Bork, York is another great guy. Tyler Sheehy from Minnesota. There's a lot of great guys, but maybe this is a year that they're going to look at a Wallman or they're going to look at uh, uh, Will Butcher. Uh, somebody that really makes an impact like there, or maybe it's a sweep with some of the goaltending that you talked about. Cause there are a lot of good goalies out there right now. Um, one of them that I like is a uh, Bitzer from Bemidji. Yeah. I was going to ask Brendan about that as our resident goalie expert. There are a lot of goalies in this discussion. Who would you say of the goaltenders deserves to be in this discussion of the potential? And again, this is very preliminary. We're, we're really getting ahead of ourselves talking about Hobie Baker Award, but I I saw the award given out for Player of the Month. It is the end of the regular season, so I felt this would be a good time. So, so Brendan, which goalies do you think belong in this discussion? Uh, definitely Charles Williams of Canisius. I mean, he leads the country in save percentage and is uh, second in goals against average entering this weekend, and he 
um, is definitely the biggest reason why the Golden Griffs are where they are right now, and that is first in Atlantic hockey. I also would put Tanner Gillette in that conversation, and it kind of brings me back to the conversation we had before about, um, you know, is, is, is getting in, is getting pounded with shots a good thing or a bad thing for the terms of in terms of this conversation. Uh, Tanner doesn't really see as much action as any of these other goalies, but if you watch Tanner play, you actually have to truly respect his ability to stay in the game and stay focused because Denver does such a great job of not defending long. They don't let teams really shoot the puck. They do an unbelievable job uh, at blocking shots as well. But when Tanner is tested, he is definitely up to the task as well. So right now, I would say Charles Williams, um, who's a four, who's a fifth-year transfer from Ferris, who didn't really get too much time playing with the Bulldogs out in Michigan. But I always knew he was a good goaltender. Funny story, I actually played roller hockey with Charles Williams back in the day. Um, so I, I interviewed him earlier last week, and we had a cool conversation about that. And he was talking about how roller hockey actually helped him. It's, a, uh, it's just a, it was it's cool. You'd have to check it out on ASN. But uh, definitely Charles Williams right now, and definitely Tanner Gillette in the conversation. And then third would be Army Parker Gahagan, a kid who's another senior. Um, has had he's had actually four incredible years for Army and definitely been their best player uh, throughout those four years. Um, so those would be the top three uh, for me right now. And Dave actually started to keep going, but Dave brought up a good point. I mean, there's no real prolific standout like a Kyle Connor or a Jack Eichel. So if they wanted to switch things up, the Hobie Baker committee, and give it to a defenseman or a goaltender, this might be the year to do it. I could see them uh, – maybe squeaking in like a, a Willie Butcher, Hobie Baker uh, hat trick at least, or a Charles Williams on the hat trick uh, stage as well. You know, one thing I think you, when you look at goalies, there's the, the one matchup I, I was thinking about you when you were talking, uh, there's one game this week that we didn't talk about, and that's Bemidji State at Northern Michigan. That's Bitzer mm-hmm. versus Ate uh, Tolovanen. Uh what a what a matchup in goalies that is. Uh, what did you think of Tullivan's streak this year? Yeah, that was incredible. That was just unbelievable. And and you know what's funny too, the saves that he was making were like highlight real saves. So I mean, obviously North Michigan had a run there and, and they were playing good defense. But I was I had to check it out. I, I was like I need to watch some tape. Like is he just you know making routine saves and averaging twenty thirty shots a game that are from the outside uh, uh, no that was not the case I mean he was making highlight reel save after highlight reel save he was totally locked in uh, dialed in and focused and uh, the question was raised to me earlier in the week um, can anybody stop Bemidji and I was like oh just look at their look at their first round matchup if if Ajay Tolvanen has a shutout like he did so often uh, earlier in the season then I tell you right now, Northern Michigan's going to stop because they'll find a way to squeak one past uh, Michael Bitzer. But that is such a, a goaltending duo in the WCHA, another league that's just up for grabs. You forget about because of the teams, but St. Lawrence has one of the best goalies for the past two years in Kyle Hayden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's just been nothing but consistent for that team. And if St. Lawrence could score some more goals, his win his win record would be. Uh, probably double than what it is. They're just a team that struggles to score right now. I know their leading goal scorer and Mikey Marnell uh, got hurt and missed a ton of games, and that really set them back. Um, they have a first-year coach too um, up there as well with Mark Morris, and he's done a good job. But you know, I don't think uh, 
I don't think they've gotten the offensive production that you would have liked. Okay, so as we get ready to wrap up our our week in review and our week in preview, you know, everyone likes to make predictions. Rather than picking games, I would say, what prediction might you have for what are college hockey fans going to be talking about next week? What's their takeaway going to be from this weekend? And we'll start with Brendan. I think the takeaway from this weekend, I guess what, what college hockey fans will be talking about next week, we'll be looking forward to these quarterfinal matchups in, in Hockey East and in uh, EC, in the ECAC. I mean, there's a potential for a Yale-Harvard quarter quarterfinal in the ECAC, which is an incredible rivalry. If Merrimack wins, we, we spoke to like, uh, what Merrimack would have to do to beat BU and that would be cool. You know, that would be a major upset. I don't think BU would fall out of NCAA tournament position, but that would be a, a definitely something to look forward to. And, you know, same thing in the, same thing in Atlantic hockey. Can the Griffs, I mean, they're riding a 15-game unbeaten streak. So this time next week, it would be can the Griffs continue uh, that unbeaten streak and then walk all the way to the finals in Atlantic hockey and get that automatic bid uh, to the NCAA tournament. So I think it's, it's, I guess, I guess, uh, just the second round and all the, all the glory that comes with it because now we're we're seeing these top teams. Uh, most of them have had a week off, and uh, we'll see how they respond and and if they uh, can be can be resilient um, and bounce back from the no games the week prior. How about you, Dave? Well, what I think what do you I think, think we'll be talking about next week? I'll go west. I'll go to the western part of the country a little bit, and I, I'll think that they're going to be talking a little bit about uh, Western Michigan and what to do with Duluth and Western Michigan. If if uh, Western Michigan, I think they're going to get a, a, at least a split out of this weekend, and that's going to turn some hens and 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 really talk about change the pairwise a little bit. And people will be talking a little bit more about that. I also think that they're going to be talking about uh, Wisconsin. Uh, a, a lot. I, I'm going to go ahead and say that Wisconsin does something abnormal in this year, and they're going to they're going to get a, a sweep. They I think they've uh, they've been a very good road team this year, but they win a lot of close games, and I just think that they buckle down a little bit more defensively than Penn State does right now. And I'll even give you a name to watch for. That's uh, Grant Bessie. I think that he's going to be uh, he's a difference maker for that team, and I think that uh, that's going to be a fun game to watch. Uh, those are the two things that I think uh, our, our people are going to talk about mostly. And I think that uh, Brendan's right. They're going to, it's going to be looking ahead uh, on the hockey East. Boston college is going to be one to watch. Um, they started out the year so hot um, and they've kind of faltered down the stretch. So they're going to need to do something in my opinion, to even think about making the tournament. Um, I don't know. That's such an interesting team to watch. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the, the two Boston teams. And how do we find you both online? How do we find you on social media? And what are you working on this week? We'll start with you, Dave. Well, I'm at Dakota High because uh, I am from North Dakota. Um, so I, I'm Dakota, Hawaii. So Dakota High, at Dakota High on Twitter, and you can find me. And I right now, I'm just kind of trying to figure out what I'll be writing out, writing about next week. I like to look at all the games, and uh, I do the players of the weeks, and I do the uh, some slapshot notes on what, what's coming up and what's going. So it's always a treat. I won't know until I get to see and watch the uh, reading all about the games this weekend. And uh, 
You can find me on, on Twitter at, at MustBeJonesy. I thought that was kind of clever. Um, right now, I'm just getting ready for Saturday night. I'll be in the studio doing pregame, intermission, and postgame. And then uh, next week, we have our College Hockey Now show, which breaks down, obviously, the week that was. And uh, we'll be prepping for that. I'll probably do a couple interviews via Skype um, with whoever's uh, – the hot topic after the weekend, so whether it be somebody from Western Michigan, Wisconsin, or or maybe somebody from Hockey East that we're looking forward to, I'll probably try and get them uh, via Skype in the studio and and uh, keep doing college hockey. Um, that's what we do. Brendan Jones, Dave Dono, thank you very much for coming on here at Puck University. We'll be back with an interview with Hockey East. Director of Communications, Brian Smith, right after this. College Hockey Now. See it live. The Wisconsin Badgers face off with the Penn State Nittany Lions, Saturday at 8 p.m. on the American Sports Network. Welcome back to Puck University. I am joined here by Brian Smith, the Director of Communications for Hockey East. The Women's Hockey East Final will be on ASN on Sunday at 1.30 in the afternoon Eastern Time. It will be held at Boston University's Walter Brown Arena. The four participants, we don't know who will be playing in the final yet. They have to figure that out on Saturday. That will be Vermont versus number six Boston College, BC's favored moving forward, and Northeastern at BU. This is the 15th year of the Women's Hockey East Conference. It is, yeah. You know, we're we're really excited about it. We're excited to bring the, the championship back to, to Boston University and Walter Brown in particular uh, for the 15th year. Uh, you know, Joe Britannia was uh, was a key cog in, in making uh, the women's hockey East a, a reality, and and seeing the the progression uh, even just over the last few years has been uh, something that that's been on a personal level very exciting. Um, so yeah, we're, I mean, we're excited to to get out there. We have four really strong teams. Uh, I think the parity for for this year has has kind of come back and, and found its middle after losing a few big pieces from a lot of different teams last year to graduation. Um, so we're, we're in for a good weekend of hockey, that's for sure. Yeah, I'd like to ask about that parity. Um, this year, five teams, the numbers two through six seeds at the end of the regular season, had between 30 points, that was Northeastern, and the number six team had 24 points. So this is an extremely deep conference, and it's come a real long way. I I actually remember going to the first, the semifinals and finals of the first year of Women's Hockey East. Mm-hmm. I was working for Northeastern Athletics at the time we were hosting it. So it was, it was really, it, it's been interesting to see how far the conference has come in that regard and just how deep it was this year. I think that that's really remarkable. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of us were, were really surprised by just how things shaped out this year. Uh, we obviously knew that things might find, uh, you know, they're even uh, even a little bit more with, with the loss of some of the big names from Boston College uh, and Alex Carpenter and Kendall Coyne from Northeastern. Uh, Marie-Philippe Poulin uh, had left Boston University the year before. So I think this year we were a little bit unsure as to, to how things were going to shake out, but um, I'm not sure anybody really could have predicted the way uh, things ended uh, this year. Um, you know, Boston College lost to Maine, who ended up finishing ninth and missing the playoffs. And uh, like you said, uh, teams two through through six were separated by just six points. Uh, it came down to the last day of the regular season uh, in terms of who was going to be seated where, who was going to make the playoffs. 
so it, it was certainly something that was exciting to see. Uh, and I, the parity in the league this year um, was amazing, uh, just in terms of the competitiveness, uh, in terms of, of who could beat who on any given night. Um, it was something that, that was always exciting. And I think, especially in women's hockey, when you're able to generate that kind of interest in every single individual game, um, it, it, it's obviously good for the sport. Um, so when you have a team like Merrimack, who was in their second varsity year um, this season, uh, able to take Boston College, who's a perennial powerhouse, who was undefeated last year, made the national championship game, um, and, and skate to a one nothing game with them twice in, in the same season, uh, I think that speaks volumes for, for the conference itself and for the level of talent from top to bottom. And it's really something that we're excited about moving forward. You mentioned last year's Boston College team that went all the way to the national championship game before they lost their first game. When women's hockey started, the powerhouses were Providence, New Hampshire's won a bunch of them, BU's won the conference five different times. But now Boston College has really come around. In the last, it, this is now, they've won four straight regular season championships in Hockey East. And they're the favorite coming into this weekend, although as, as has been established, they're not a prohibitive favorite. It's a very open conference. But the job Katie King has done at Boston College, bringing that program to where it is now, has really been amazing. Yeah, it has been. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, there's kind of been the big swings of power, I think, in the conference historically. So Providence won the first three championships. New Hampshire won the next four. BU won four in a row. Um, so there's, you know, that tendency to have something that's, that's set in stone and in these dynasties that last a long time. Um, Boston College hasn't had that, that type of team that's won the championships repeatedly yet. Um, but as you said, the coach that, that Katie King Crowley has done uh, has been phenomenal. Uh, being able to recruit the players that she's been able to recruit uh, year in and year out. Uh, obviously, Alex Carpenter had a had a big play in that the last few years uh, with what she was able to accomplish. But I think you look up and down the roster, you you have players like Alex Carpenter, uh, who who's such a dynamic forward offensively and able to put the puck in the net. Um, but she's such a sound defensive player as well that I think a lot of people overlook that uh, during her career. Um, and you look at this year, Megan Keller, uh, and the season that she's having as just a junior. She's already the, the highest scoring defenseman in league history. Uh, she's setting records uh, all over the place for the BC program itself. Uh, and then on the back end, you have Katie Burt, who has you know more shutouts than goals allowed most of the time uh, on any given weekend. So um, the team and its cohesiveness has really been something that's been impressive to see. And I think this year in, in particular is a testament to that. Uh, Boston College lost three of their top defensemen to injury uh, midway through the year, and they've been able to kind of battle back and, and have the younger younger players pick up uh, pick up where, where the older's left off. Um, so as you said, coming into this season uh, or into this weekend, um, they're, they're facing off with a tough Vermont team that has a very good goaltender. They have very good young players in, in Eve Audrey Picard, um, and great leadership uh, up, uh, up the front there with the seniors uh, in Rachel Aide, Sarah Kelly, and Taylor Willard, who's just a junior on defense. Um, so it's really going to be an exciting matchup in that first game, um, you know, between uh, between Coach Crowley's team and Coach Plumer, who who has also done a fantastic job of building up that Vermont program uh, from the point he came in into now their second semifinal appearance. And in the other semifinal, it'll be the host university, Boston University, hosting, well, playing Northeastern, 
Both of those teams just outside of the top 10 at the latest USCHO poll, they both received votes. They received the same number of votes. So as that might imply, this is going to be a very even matchup in the other semifinal. And these are both teams who have been very tough all year. They could give the winner of Vermont versus BC a run for their money, certainly. And BU, who has won the conference more times than anybody, so certainly that weighs in on it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and this will actually be the fourth year in a row that BU and Northeastern have met each other in the semifinals. Um, So they're very familiar with each other in this position here. Uh, But as you said, both teams are are very deep up and down uh, for Northeastern. There's Denise Susiva, who again is just a junior, uh, and McKenna Brand, who's also a junior, uh, putting up outrageous offensive numbers, um, you know, able to score seemingly at will. Uh, And then on the back end, Brittany Bogolsky and Nett, uh, really a, a stalwart for them uh, and, and the anchor of their defense. Um, and on the BU side, they've had a great year uh, up front uh, with Rebecca Leslie and Victoria Bach, who was a scoring champion this year, uh, had 37 points just in league play alone. And you look in the back end, they have Victoria Hansen in net, who's really enjoyed a breakout year in her senior season. Um, so these two teams, you know, they're seasoned. They know what to expect with each other. Uh, certainly Coach uh, Brian DeRocher for BU, Uh, knows what it takes to win to this point, knows what it takes to advance to the title game, having been there in the past five years, winning four of them. Um, So it's certainly going to be an exciting matchup. Uh, You know, Coach Dave Flint on the other side is someone that's that's, constantly uh, evolving his program and adjusting on the fly. So, you know, the familiarity with these two teams, uh, having split the the season series, um, it's going to be it's going to be interesting for sure. Uh, I think there's going to be no shortage of fireworks come Saturday at Walter Brown. And that's the Walter Brown Arena has since 2005 really been it belonged to the women's team as the men's team has moved to a Gannis Arena. But Walter Brown has a special place in Boston sports lore, and in, it, it's it's this historic building. Certainly, Boston loves its old buildings, as anyone around here will attest. What does Walter Brown Arena mean to this tournament and to women's hockey's to be? It, it's at this point a women's hockey-dominated arena. It is that a step forward? Is that a or it's a? It's certainly a great building to have in your arsenal. It is for sure. Uh, you know the, the women's the women's championship in particular uh, has had a, a bit of an interesting history in terms of where it's hosted. Uh, so for a while, it was hosted just at the top seed um, on their campus. But as I'm sure everyone is aware, it's very difficult to plan for those things and have the facility available, especially in this day and age where you have so many multi-purpose arenas uh, that host women's hockey. So uh, in the last few years, there's been a few different options that we've had. At first, we took it down to Hyannis on Cape Cod and, and had, um, you know, kind of a destination championship for the weekend where the players would get out of the city they'd go and they traveled they'd be set up in a hotel it was a very much a championship atmosphere down there um bu won four championships in a row down there so they certainly enjoyed that aspect of it um and then when merrimack came into the league last year uh, as, as their first year in the varsity program we felt that uh bringing the championship back to them and hosting it at uh, lawler rink would be something that would be uh, you know, a real good way to christen their program and welcome them into the hockey's family. So that was a great success. I uh, had had a, a, t- a great time over there. 
Um, and then this year we were kind of looking at what we wanted to do. And as you said, Walter Brown is such an institution uh, in women's hockey and, and college hockey really in general, having hosted the men for so long before Gannis Arena opened up. Um, so it is, it's, it's very nice to get back there and be in such a, a friendly arena. Uh, it's able to draw great crowds. Um, being right on the campus uh, of BU gives us obviously accessibility to the BU student body. Uh, it's obviously very close to Northeastern and Boston College as well, so we're really expecting a big crowd. Um, and it, it's just a great size arena for an event like this. It, it really gives you everything you need, and it gives the atmosphere of a, of a big-time college hockey game uh, while also being accessible to the, the bodies of all of our fans, uh, especially for the four teams that are coming down. So um, we, we are very excited to, to get down in there. Uh, and with some of the more modern upgrades that Walter Brown has had in the last few years, uh, it's going to be a very comfortable experience for our teams, and it's going to be a great atmosphere. So that's what I think I'm most excited about, to see Walter Brown, you know, getting filled up, uh, having so many people in the, in the building for these high-intensity games. It's really going to be something to see. Brian Smith, Director of Communications for Hockey East. Thank you so much for coming on. Again, the women's final is going to be Sunday at 1.30. You'll be able to see it. ASN will be there. And it's at Walter Brown Arena in Boston. So if you're in the area and you can get there, it will be something to see. Walter Brown for any hockey game is something to see, but especially for a tournament such as this. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Tim. That concludes this week's session of Puck University. Thanks to my guests, Dave Dondino, Brendan Jones, and Hockey East Brian Smith for coming on the podcast. Talk to you next week. Keep your head up and keep your hits clean.